Hey everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the gospel, especially as it is talked about at the beginning of the book of Romans. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to talk to you about something. Like for every other church, the last seven or eight months has been filled with a lot of challenges for us. And one of the unique difficulties for us and churches like ours is that we're a mobile church that normally meets in a school and that school has not been available to us for obvious reasons. And so we have had to scramble to find places to uh, do church from. This year I've preached my sermons for our Sunday service from five different locations. I did it at the school before everything was shut down. I did it at another church's offices for a little while. Thank you, Grace Chapel, for being so gracious to us. I preached from our church property. I preached from home. And uh, just last Sunday, I preached from the building that we're going to be using for the next three months, which leads me to the thing I want to talk to you about. After searching near and far, high and low, we have been blessed with the full-time 24-7 use of a church building that was sitting unused and has been sitting unused for several months. Why am I telling you this? First, I want to publicly thank God for this incredible blessing. We were running out of options and we didn't know what we were going to do when the weather turned bad because we had been meeting outside and God has really blessed us and answered our prayers in allowing us to use this building. The second reason I'm telling you this is that we would love to see you at one of our services. If you're interested in coming to one of our services, you can go to creekside.me slash church, creekside.me slash church, and there you'll be able to register for a service, plus learn about how our services are going to look and what we're doing to make them safe. The last reason I'm telling you this is that it's a unique opportunity for us as a church to have a permanent space, at least a temporary permanent space. And that has our minds and hearts just dreaming about the things that we can do. And so we are working on some special content that we would not otherwise be able to produce. And I really want to make sure that you have an opportunity to watch and listen to the content that we produce when it comes out. And so the best way to make sure that you stay in the know is to subscribe to our newsletter. And you can do that by going to creekside.me slash sign up. That's creekside.me slash sign up. But I would also encourage you to like, follow, subscribe, whatever it may be on the different social media platforms. We're especially active on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, and we would love to connect with you there. And if you connect with us, then you will be in the know when we produce and send out new content, some of that new content that we're excited about. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chad. I'm the pastor of Creekside, and I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, I think that what we're going to talk about today is really important because, because so many people, I think, look at Christianity as a, a source of discouragement and not the hope and the joy and the goodness that it's supposed to be about. Uh, we've been talking about in a sermon series how Christianity, at the heart of Christianity, is a story called the gospel, and the gospel is good news. And every sermon that I've preached in this series has been built around that idea that the gospel is good news. 
But a lot of people don't see it that way. Even people who are Christians, I think because we associate Christianity primarily with a set of rules that is to be followed. I think people who are Christians for a long time, they can drift into this line of thinking and, and they, they know how they ought to act as Christians. And, and so when they look at their own lives and they see the disconnect between how they, they're supposed to act and, and what they're supposed to do and what they actually are doing, all of a sudden they're, they're discouraged about that. And over time they, they mess up and, and they, they fail so many times to do what they want to do and they ought to do that Christianity becomes anything but good news. It instead turns into this discouraging thing and this burden because, because their faith isn't being lived out in the way that you know, they want to live it out. I think for a lot of people who aren't Christians, they look at Christianity and they think, wow, there's so many rules, there's so many things they can't do. Why would I be a part of that uh, if you know, it's gonna make me you know, change my life in these various ways that really I don't want to have my life changed in? And I think that, that the problem with this line of thinking is that it fails to recognize this, this very important Thing, This thing that is at the heart of the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, I think really it's the answer to this discouragement that some of us sense around Christianity because we fail to, to live it out in the way that, you know, we want to or because, you know, you're not a Christian, you say, I don't want any part of that. I think it answers those questions and those struggles. And here's, here's the big idea. Here's the proposition for this morning. Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior but being transformed by a savior. Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior, but being transformed by a savior. I was thinking about it this week and uh, one of the ways I would illustrate this struggle that we sometimes feel is like, how discouraging would Halloween be if, if it was different than it currently is like what if instead of just going up to a door and saying trick-or-treat and you know knocking and then saying trick-or-treat and getting candy what if it was like you know a question of whether or not you're gonna get candy and you knock and you said trick or treat and they said trick and then you tried to do the trick and 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 they're like ah not good enough and then they slammed the door in your face I think that's almost how people sometimes view Christianity they're like well the candy is free the the grace of God is free the the forgiveness of God is free, but I have to do all of these certain things in a certain way to earn it or to stay in God's favor or to have the benefits. And man, I think that, it, man, if you feel that in any way, then you need to recognize that Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior, but being transformed by a savior. In uh, the passage we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter of Romans that we're looking at the gospel story in, he, he really writes to what might be a criticism by Jewish readers. And the Jewish readers uh, are probably looking at Paul, and Paul said, look, people, whether Jew or Gentile, Jew or non-Jew, they are without excuse when it comes to, to accepting the gospel, to becoming Christians. There's no excuse not to because they're all sinful. And it's, it's like he hears Jewish people who have the law, who have circumcision, will come back to those things, who have been in a special and unique relationship with God throughout history. It's like they look at Paul and they're like, you can't possibly be saying that we are the same as Gentiles. You can't possibly be saying that. 
I think there's parallels for many of us and we'll come back to some of those parallels. But listen first to what Paul writes to that line of thinking. He says in Romans 2, 12 through 16, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. The law in this passage is the law given to Jewish people at Mount Sinai when God showed up thousands of years ago in a, in, on fire, a fiery mountain and he, he gave the law to Moses. You can read about that in Exodus 19 and 20 and beyond. And this was done, interestingly, at a time in human history where people, not just Jews, but people in general culture was trying to figure out law. Like, you know, what do we punish and what do we don't punish and what's good and what's bad. And, and so this was, this was something people were trying to figure out and philosophize about and, and, and work through and, you know, just trying to figure it out. And God shows up and he gives the Jewish people their Law And we can look at law and think, well, that's not something we like and, you know, it kind of holds me down or whatever. But for the Jewish people, this was a major blessing and it is really what separated them from all the other people on earth, at least in their minds. Keep your head on that. We'll come back to it in a second. But first, notice verse 12 because it gives us one of the big ideas of our passage. Last week, uh, we saw that the gospel is for everyone because everyone sins. And Paul here is writing that those who sin will perish. And it doesn't matter. This is what he's saying. It doesn't matter if they have the law or they don't have the law. And the interplay here is between those who are Jewish and those who aren't, those who have the law and those who don't. And and basically Paul declares what we've already seen in two sermons in this series. And that is that people are without Excuse. People do not have a good reason to reject the gospel. People don't have a good reason not to embrace the gospel of Jesus. Now let me pause right here and explain what the gospel is before we move on. The gospel is the story of Christianity that says all people, you, me included, we are sinners. We have done things wrong. We have done things, not just that are wrong, but, but go against the will, the desire, the commandments, the character, the nature of God. And, and because of that, we, we have a broken relationship with God. And so to fix that relationship, God came down in the person of Jesus. Jesus was born at Christmas. He lived sinlessly. You can read about it in the Bible. And at the end of that sinless life, he willingly went to the cross at the hands of his persecutors. And he died on that cross. But as he died on the cross... He didn't just die a terrible physical death, but, but the weight of all our sin, the punishment, in fact, of all our sin was laid upon him and he really paid, he paid the price of hell on that cross. Three days later, he got out of the grave and, and what scripture declares to us, what the writers of the New Testament tell us by the inspiration of God is that all we have to do is place our faith in Jesus 
through that story and we can have our relationship with God restored. That's the gospel. And Paul says, look, there are no people who have excuses to not embrace that. There's no way to be good enough to not have to embrace that story, whether you have the law or you don't have the law. And here's why he says it in our passage of scripture. He says, having the law won't save you because you break it. It doesn't matter that you know the law better than everybody else because you break the law. And in fact, that in some ways can make it worse, right? Like you knew what you weren't, that you weren't supposed to do it, but you did it anyway. You knew that you were, you were supposed to do it, but you didn't do it. And so having the law is not going to save you. It's no excuse to not embrace the gospel, to give your life to Christ. That's what he says to the Jewish people. And then he says, look, not having the law is also not an excuse because he says, people who don't have the law, they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. Conscience was a technical term in Greek Stoic philosophy and it's a word uh, that was used as a reflective mechanism by which people can measure their conformity to a norm. Paul uses this term to, to basically say, you know, that, that thing inside of us that, that gauges, that measures whether we are in conformity to a, a moral standard that really is beyond us of right and wrong. And, and for Paul, you know, he's recognizing that that moral standard comes from God. And so what he's saying is that even if people don't have the law of God, even if they don't know what God wants them to do because it's written down in front of them, somewhere deep inside of them, they know by their own conscience that thing that makes you feel guilty or, you know, good about your decisions and your behaviors. They know, we know who are Gentiles, the things we ought to do and the things we ought not do. And he, I love this. He says, your, your conscience sometimes accuses you and sometimes defends you. It tells you when you've done something good or bad. Man, don't we know that to be true? I mean, look, even if you're a person who, who just, I mean, even if you don't believe in God, you have to recognize the truth of what Paul says here. You have to recognize that when you do certain things, somewhere deep inside of you, you might suppress it, you might hate it, you might even medicate it, but somewhere deep inside of you, you know that that thing was wrong. Even if you're like, you know, I should be able to do this and it doesn't, you know, it's not against moral norms in our culture, you know that you did something that was wrong. And likewise, on the positive side of that, there are certain things that we do where we understand we did something good. We did something that, that we should have done. You know, you might go help a friend in need. You might feed somebody that's hungry. And, and somewhere deep inside, you know that you did something that is universally good. And Paul says that all points, that all points to the reality that there is good and bad and that sometimes we do the things that are bad and that means we need a savior. And so you, without the law, are not, you have no excuse not to embrace the gospel. So he just makes really clear, right? He's like, hey, if you have the law and you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, you need, you need Jesus. If you don't have the law, you still kind of know what you should do and shouldn't do and you realize you've done wrong things. And so... You need Jesus. The New International Commentary on the New Testament says, knowledge of God's moral demands demonstrates guilt. It demonstrates their guilt and it demonstrates our guilt. It, it shows us that we are all sinners and it shows us that we are all sinners who are in need of a savior. 
Paul says those who obey the law will be declared righteous. And that sounds great, but that's a problem, right? Because nobody obeys the law perfectly, whether they have it written down for them or whether it's written on their hearts through the conscience that God has given us. We all can recognize through the written law or through how our hearts speak to us that we have fallen short of the moral standard that exists outside of us, the universal moral standard that as Christians, we believe, comes through the character and nature of God. Those who do the law perfectly, who obey it perfectly, they're righteous, a word that means right with God. Uh, Right with God in our relationship, right with God legally in our legal standing before God, we're right with God, but nobody, nobody obeys the law fully and so we are all sinners who have a broken relationship with God and need a savior. I'll just, just say, look, there's the word sin right there. And we're going to talk about sin next week, a word that you know, I think is less understood in our society today than it, than it has been in the past. But as we talk about the gospel summarized in our final sermon in this series next week, we'll really come back to sin. But, but notice what Paul is starting to get at here. Look, he's like saying, you can't earn your relationship with God by doing a bunch of right things. And so Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior, but, but being transformed by a savior. Now there's two more things before we move on in our passage that I really just want you to notice. One is that he says, God will judge people's secrets. I named this sermon the gospel secret because, because the secret here in, in Paul's telling of the gospel story, the secret is what's happening inside of you where nobody can see. That's a little bit scary, right? That God doesn't just see our behaviors. Even if we clean up kind of everything on the outside, God still sees what's happening in our hearts. It's a little bit scary to know that the gospel secret is what takes place in here. But as we'll see in a minute, the gospel secret is also such good news because it's gonna remind us at the end of our passage that the Christianity isn't just about reforming our behavior. It's about being transformed by a savior. But the other thing, you know, in this little section here before we move on is that Paul says, my gospel. I love that phrase. And to be totally upfront, it's probably, Paul, Paul probably says that because it's like something he's taught before in the past. But, but I love the idea of Paul so internalizing and clinging to and trusting in the gospel that I've already explained to you that isn't just the gospel anymore. It's his gospel. And I wonder in your heart if the gospel is just good news or if it's your good news. Is it, is it just good news, like Christianity is great, whatever, or is it the good news that defines your life, the way that you, the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you live? Is, is the gospel just the gospel or is it your gospel? Man, I hope that it is your gospel because you've embraced it so fully that it, that it drives every part of your life. And not only that, it will drive your eternity too. Then Paul says, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip over some verses here. You should go and read them, but, but just for the, space, uh, for the sake of time, I wanna read uh, Romans 2.17 and then 23 and 24 because it's really at the heart of all of 2.17 through 24. These verses kind of explain it pretty well. The rest are more nuanced details, but listen to this. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, ellipsis, you boast in the, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
Now, I mentioned the importance that for Jewish people that, that having the law you know, had in their lives really defined them. It, it showed them that they were the people of God, that they had a right relationship with God, that they had access to God that nobody else had. And, and this was a special place for them. And, and they recognized that having the law was special and they weren't wrong. Paul's going to talk about that later in this letter. But, but they were getting some things about that special place place wrong. It was special to have the law, but it didn't mean, it didn't mean that they didn't need the gospel. Let me just, let me just, just make this so clear because we can, we can fall into some of these categories. We can think that we're good enough, that we do enough, that we're nice enough, that we're better than other people. And we can, we can begin to believe that we are special and therefore we don't need Jesus and the saving work that he did on the cross. But if we can learn anything from Paul here, it's, it's this, that you know anything that makes you special, and I believe there's a lot of things that make you special, but anything that makes you special does not make you special enough to not need Jesus. Excuse the double negative. You have no excuse to not accept the gospel, even if you know everything about God, even if you, you know, read the Bible all the time, even if you go to church, you, you still need to embrace Jesus through his gospel. Now, in between the statements, there's a series of questions that is aimed at Jewish people. And, and basically, Paul's like, this is my words. But basically, he's like, you who claim to be teachers, leaders, and examples of morality, do you do the things you are teaching against? And the implied answer to all of these questions is, yes, at some point, they do the things that they are teaching against. They, they sin, even though they are telling people not to sin and how not to sin, they still do things that God has told them not to. To do, and that's a problem because of what we've already said. That, that to be righteous, to be right before God in our relationship and legally and our legal standing before God, to be right before God, you have to do it all right. Listen to James 2:10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Galatians 3:10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. It is as it is written: Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, some people take that and they say all sin, all breaking of the law is equal. Like, like you know, committing murder is the same as telling a lie. And that's not the point here. The point is just instead, you know, from Paul and James to say, if you've broken any of the law, then you are totally in need of a savior. If you've, if you've done one thing wrong, if you've done one thing that makes you guilty, then you need you need Jesus. Now that's a great burden, right? That's a huge burden if, if we don't embrace Jesus because it's like, well, now I'm guilty and, and guilt sucks and we hate guilt. And if Christianity is just a series of rules, then, then this is a terrible idea, right? Because, because once we break a rule, then we're guilty of all of it and we're just gonna keep doing that for the rest of our lives. But as we'll see in just a second, Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior, but being transformed by a savior. Paul is not saying, hey, fix your behavior. You know the law, Jewish person. Fix it and do all of the law. Make sure you fulfill it perfectly. He's saying you can't. You can't fulfill it perfectly. You can't do everything right. Even if you're the greatest teacher and you're a great example of how to fulfill it, you still can't do it all. And so you have to turn to Jesus. For these Jewish people that you know, Paul is referring to, apparently they broke the law so frequently, at least some of them, that 
that they were giving Jews a bad name. They were giving God even a bad name amongst the Gentiles. I think we feel some of that in our culture today, right? Christians have these moral standards and when we break them, the culture looks at us and says, well, how can I believe in your God? And that too is a great burden. But I am thankful that Christianity isn't first about reforming our behavior, but it's about being transformed by a savior. Listen to what Paul says next, because it's gonna all come together in just a couple minutes here. Romans 2, 25 through 28. Circumcision has value. He switches to circumcision. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirement, will they not be regarded as those who are circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. This is big. Listen to this last statement. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Like the law, circumcision was a really important part of of being Jewish and, and really defining their relationship to God. It was a, a grand symbol that they, they had a special and unique relationship to God, a special and unique access to God that the rest of the world did not have. And in fact, this was such a big deal that the Jewish rabbis said things like this, circumcised men don't descend into Gehenna, which is, Gehenna is the word that Jesus uses for hell, Uh, And then this, circumcision will deliver Israel from Gehenna. The idea here for Jewish people is simple. Like they believed that they were saved because they were circumcised, because they had this incredible symbol and had gone through this thing in order to show that they they were the people of God. And Paul, man, this is so radical and it's hard, I think, even to express how radical this is. And I I think it's important to remember Paul is Jewish. So he's not talking from an outsider's perspective. He says this thing so radical. Circumcision has value if, if, big, big if, if you observe the law. If you observe the law. In Galatians 5.3, 3, Paul says more emphatically, you gotta obey the whole law. He's talking about the same thing. Circumcision is valuable if you obey the entire law, if you do everything right. And I think by now you understand that Jew and Gentile, they don't. That's what Paul's getting at, they don't. That's what Paul is arguing here in this passage. And so he's saying circumcision is gonna do you no good. This ritual of circumcision is not going to save you. Only Jesus can save you through the gospel. Now, listen, we do the same thing and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell a story at the very end. I'm gonna share a testimony. The testimony I mentioned in my sermon last week, I got permission to share some of it with you and it's gonna connect to you know, many of these things here, but we can do the same thing in modern American Christianity, especially people who are in an area where, you know, unlike the Northwest, where Christianity is still so cultural, we can, people can believe that, that kind of just doing these right things that, that are good, but doing these right things are good enough to save them. They make, it about, they make it about reformed behavior and not a transformation of a heart through the Savior. Listen, like church, going to church. I think so many people think they're Christians because they, they go to church. Baptism, well, I've been baptized. I think I've even heard people say that. Like, hey, are you a Christian? Well, I was baptized. In fact, you know what? In an email just a, a little bit ago, that was somebody's quick response. I think it's a, this is a person who is actually a Christian, but their response was, well, I got baptized. 
uh, donating money to our church or to some other nonprofit that is good, serving, being kind. We start to associate these types of activities with being saved. And Paul is saying, no, nope, 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 nope. Unless you've never broken the law of God, you are in need of a savior. Because Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior, but being transformed by a savior. Now, in verse 29, he hits it. He hits it hard. He comes to the big conclusion, the big finish. You're gonna see why this, this statement I've been making about our behavior versus the need for a savior is really true. Listen to what Paul says in verse 29. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Some people say that this is the first reference like to Christians in the book of Romans. Paul's been talking about what it means to kind of be a Christian and what the gospel is and who he is and all of these things. But now he really talks about what it means to be a Christian and something that we have as a Christian, something that's so good about Christianity. He begins to describe Christians and it is such good news. It's such good news because he says to us, look, isn't just about reformed behavior. It's about being transformed inside where nobody else can see. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, the Israelites were told to circumcise their hearts. In Jeremiah 4, 4, uh, we see the same thing. And, and really, this is about, in both those passages, it's about these things. Um, it's about repentance and having a heart that responds to God's grace. Repentance and responding to God's grace. And I think that Paul has to have those same themes in mind here. When he talks about circumcision of the heart, he is talking about repentance, which is a changing of mind that leads to a changing of direction. I said that last week. And, and that happens because we respond to the grace of God in the gospel story. I think for Paul, a, a circumcised heart is a heart that says God has offered me incredible grace through what Jesus did on the cross. And so I, I will change my mind. I'll accept that gift of salvation through the cross. I'll embrace the gospel story. I'll give my life to Jesus. And, and, I, and that is the part that repents. We repent. We change what we think about Jesus and we give him our lives. And he says that is what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about saying, well, I'm going to do this, 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 this. It's about recognizing the truth of the gospel, believing it to be true, responding to God's grace and giving him your life. Paul says this isn't an external thing. It's not about following the rules because you can't follow the rules perfectly. It's about having a changed heart because you have responded to the grace of God through Jesus who died on a cross for your sins. Deuteronomy 36, I mean, it's like this idea of loving God. It talks about this loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your life. And, and what God is calling us to is not to fix our behavior, but to be transformed in such a way inside of us that we love God. We love God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds and all our life. And this happens, this doesn't happen through you jumping through hoops. I, I need you to understand this. It happens through Jesus. Galatians 3, 11 through 14. We've already talked about Galatians 3 and there Paul's saying like, hey, 
You're not you're not going to work your way into heaven because because I mean the law's not going to get heaven because if you break part of the law you you break it all and and here's what he says in, in verses eleven through fourteen clearly no one who rely, relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith the law is not based on faith on the contrary it says the person who does these things will live by them impossible that's what Paul's getting at. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The gospel does not call us to fix our behavior. It calls us to have hearts that are transformed by the incredible grace of Jesus. He became cursed, hanging on a tree, hanging on the cross, so that we might be freed from the curse of the law. A curse that said, you're not good enough. You can't live up to the standard that God has set because of his character and nature. Jesus became that curse so that we could be free from the curse. And yet sometimes... Yet sometimes we still make it about jumping through the hoops and following the rules. But man, we shouldn't. We shouldn't because what it's about is being transformed on the inside through the incredible grace of Jesus. And the gospel isn't about what we do. It is about what God did and what he is doing in us. The gospel isn't about what we do. It's about what God is doing in us. And that is good news. In fact, it's good news that's very unique to Christianity. When we make Christianity about following a bunch of rules, we make it like all the other religions of the world who who look at God and say, well, God's given us a standard. That's the same as Christianity. God's given us a standard and he's told us that if we do a bunch of right things, then we can work our way towards him. If we follow the standard better and better, we might, we might be right with God. Christianity says God's given us a standard. He came down. He came down into the world because we broke that standard. He paid the punishment of our sins and, and now he is, he's wants to transform our hearts. God came down to us to transform our hearts, not to make our behavior a little bit better. That is unique to Christianity. And what an incredible gift it is because when we're trying to fix our behaviors, you know this, the curse, the burden, we all feel it, right? The guilt, the effort, the struggle, it is such an incredible burden. I mean, Jesus in his life as he's walking on earth, he, he describes that burden that was being placed on people because of the law, being placed on people is like, uh, this is just coming in my head now, so you have to forgive me for language, but, but the, the things that go around an ox and, and weigh them down as they're plowing a field. And Jesus says, my, my burden is easy. It's easy because Jesus didn't come just to fix your behavior. He came to transform you. Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior, but being transformed by a savior deep in your heart. I said the gospel secret is what happens in here. The reality is Christianity, being a Christian is not something that can be seen. Now, it it flows out of a person. Jesus himself says people will know that you're Christians based on how you love each other. But primarily, primarily the gospel 
is such good news because, because it shows us that Christianity is about changing this in here. It's about changing this, your heart, so that you love God and you live for God, but you want to live for God because of what's going on in here. What happens in here. And, and man, he, and Paul just says this great thing at the end. He says, you'll get praise from God. The external stuff, trying to follow the rules, trying to do everything right. Man, that is so much in our lives about having other people look at us and go, wow, I like the way they're living and what they're doing. Maybe it's like family pressure and you go to church and you got baptized and you give money to your church or whatever because your family wanted you to do it. You know what makes you look good? But true Christianity is in the heart, right? True Christianity is in the heart and it expresses itself outwardly, but it starts here. And our praise then doesn't come from people primarily. It comes from God. The commentary I mentioned earlier says it's probably the praise with which God will honor his own people on the last day. The praise with which God will honor his own people on the last day. There's this beautiful picture in the book of Revelation. Where, where God's people uh, are given crowns. They're given crowns. And the picture in Revelation is that people are throwing those crowns at the feet of Jesus because they recognize that it wasn't their works that earned those crowns for them. It was the transformation of their hearts by the power of Jesus' gospel. Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior but being transformed by a savior saying I am a pastor who preached the Bible faithfully will not get me into heaven, only Jesus will. I mentioned a testimony last week and earlier in this sermon, and I just want to read it to you. Uh, It's pretty lengthy, but I think it's so important. Somebody that attended our church until they recently moved away said, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents taught me the Bible from a young age. I went to church and Sunday school. I knew the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer from a young age. I always attended all the services on Sundays and would take notes and check if everything being preached was in line with the Bible. When I was still in school, I started memorizing the Bible. I would rewrite the Bible on notebooks and even memorize genealogies. I knew the scriptures, but I was never sure if I really knew the God of the Bible in here. I finished school and decided to study religious studies, theology and Greek. I still didn't understand how salvation worked. I knew the scriptures, but still could not understand or be sure if I was really saved. Up to that point, it was very difficult for me to understand that I was a sinner. Then one Sunday, I went to church. I was already a leader in the church. I can't remember the sermon. I was really, wasn't really paying attention, and I didn't really follow what he was preaching, but there was this moment in the sermon, typical of sermons in most churches every week, when the pastor asked if anyone wanted to commit their lives to the Lord and asked if anyone wanted to come forward. I heard a loud voice in my head telling me to go forward. I started arguing and saying, I can't, it's embarrassing, I'm a leader, no way. But the voice said, come. So I went. That day I knew that I was a sinner, that Jesus died for my sin, that his blood washed away my sin, and that I am a child of God. For this person, all of the external behaviors were there. All of the external behaviors were there. But their heart had not been transformed. And that wasn't Christianity until that day when she came forward. That's when Christianity, that's when she became a Christian. Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior, but being transformed by a savior. It's, 
inward and invisible as the message of Romans says. It's in the heart and not in the flesh. It's affected by the spirit and not by the law. And it wins approval from God, not by others. Human beings, that same commentary says, are comfortable with what is outward, visible, material, and superficial. What matters to God is deep, inward, secret work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. This is the gospel secret because Christianity isn't about reforming your behavior but being transformed by a savior. Let me pray that you will be transformed by a savior. God, I pray for the non-Christians who are watching this morning, who are listening to my sermon today, and I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them in such a powerful way, God, that this morning they would choose to embrace your gospel. They would choose, God, to place their faith in your death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sin. God, call them to transformation in their hearts by the power of your gospel and the work of your Holy Spirit. And then, God, I pray for those of us who are Christians who fall into the trap that I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon. We fall into the trap of making this Christian thing, our faith, about following a set of rules and not being transformed in here. And I pray that as you did while you walked the earth, God, you would remind us that your burden is not great. And Lord, you do change behavior and I'm so thankful that you, have, that you have moved me forward, that you have turned me into a better man, God. But, but God, it doesn't start there, it starts here. And I pray that you would remind us of that and that we would not see Christianity as some great burden, but we, God, because of the gospel secret that we see in this passage, because it is about you transforming our hearts, we would see it as the good news that it is. Lord, if you would call this like the other world religions to earn our way up to you, it would be bad news because none of us could do that. But instead, you came down to us so that you might transform our hearts, Lord. And that is the best news the world has ever known. Remind us of that. Grow us in that, God. Help us to understand it better and better all the time. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.